And thank you, worship team, uh, for leading us today. Welcome back, everyone. I uh, was so delighted to be with you today. If this is your very first time, that's great. Thank you for joining us today. I hope everyone will take time to fill out the communication cards uh, online uh, when, when it's convenient for you, but we do really value knowing when you've connected with us. I'm really looking forward to March 14th when we can gather in person, and I hope you are too. I'm looking forward to some warmer weather and just the time to see you all. So um, let's pray together that uh, God will bring us back on that date. We've been on the road to redemption these last uh, few weeks, and um, some of you have uh, walked that road and come into a relationship with Christ. And some of you today, you know, maybe you're on that road that will lead to your redemption, but you're not there yet. You may know um, of the PBS uh, program, public television station, that has a very popular program called the Antiques Roadshow. On this uh, program, the country's leading auction houses and independent dealers come together to offer free appraisals of various antiques and collectible items to people around the country. On one occasion in Tucson, Arizona, an elderly man brought in uh, an old blanket that his grandmother had given to him uh, many years earlier. And he just wanted to see if there happened to be any value in it. For years, it had been in his bedroom just hanging over a chair. When the show uh, recording uh, began... The, the, the blanket was hanging on a rack right behind the man and the uh, appraiser. The expert appraiser for the Antiques Roadshow told the man that when he saw the blanket for the very first time that his heart stopped. He went on to explain that this blanket had been the property of a Navajo chief and it dated back to the 1840s. The blanket was in excellent shape and it was one of the oldest intact Navajo weaves that still exist uh, up until the 21st century. And because of the rarity and the significance of this blanket, he said this blanket is valued between $350,000 and $500,000. When the man walked in to the convention center that day, he just kind of had the the blanket thrown over his shoulder. And uh, it was something that he had just taken for granted for, for years and years. When he walked out that day, he, he walked out holding that blanket very carefully cradled in his arms. And he was accompanied by two armed guards. He then drove straight to the bank and put that blanket in a large safety deposit box. His old blanket had been transferred, transformed from just old stuff to now a precious treasure. When God saves us from our sin, giving us forgiveness and eternal life, He also opens our eyes to begin to see who Jesus is and the precious treasure that we have. 
And my question is, have you experienced your eyes being opened to who Jesus really is and how great he is? Today we begin uh, again uh, the road to redemption. We're in part four, and we're going to be in Mark chapter 15, verses 1 through 20, as we see the humiliation of Jesus. I'm going to read the first portion of this in verses 1 through 15. So uh, please open your scriptures, your smartphone, your Bible to uh, Mark chapter 15. I want to read this passage for us. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders and the teachers of the law and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus and led him away and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? Pilate asked. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now, it was the custom of the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate knowing that it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they all shouted out all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed over to be crucified. We're going to end our reading right there. We begin with uh, humiliation before the religious leaders, and we see this in verse 1. Now, let me just bring us up to speed and go back to the context of this passage. Uh, Jesus has been up all night. It's early now, Friday morning. On Thursday evening, Jesus had been with his disciples and they shared their last meal together. If you remember, uh, Jesus had predicted that one of the disciples would betray him. And it was Judas and Judas left the room that night. Jesus had predicted that Peter would deny him three times before the rooster crowed. And from there, uh, from this, the upper room, they had been in, they, they are in Jerusalem. They're going to go out to the Garden of Gethsemane to spend time in prayer. Judas had already left Jesus to betray him. And Jesus was arrested in the garden and identified by Judas with a kiss. Eventually, remember that Peter followed at a distance. Then Jesus was taken first to the home of Annas, where he was questioned by Annas, the former high priest. Next, he was taken to Caiaphas' home, at where he met with many religious leaders called the Sanhedrin. There they interrogated him in, in front of a very large group. However, with as many witnesses as they brought forward, they couldn't get a consistent 
testimony against Jesus. And so ultimately they accused Jesus of blasphemy because he claimed to be God. In their mind, Jesus is guilty and he deserves death. And so we begin in verse 1 with the trials. Look at your text. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders and the teachers of the law and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. So this kind of concludes that all-nighter that the, that the leaders had spent interrogating Jesus, seeking to find a reason to have him executed. Remember, um, the, the Jewish people in their own nation do not have the authority to execute anyone for breaking the law. It has to be approved. It has to be carried out by the occupying government of the Roman Empire. Um, Now, the religious leaders have been plotting for a while. They know Pilate, the governor, uh, only hears trials early in the morning from 6 to 9 a.m. And here's the deal. They've been up all night because they've had a plan all along to have Jesus ready to appear before Pilate the first thing of sunlight. And so they have accomplished their goal And he was led away and handed over to Pilate. They also know that Pilate uh, will not be impressed by their charge of blasphemy. Pilate will not waste time on religious matters. Now, uh, sometimes uh, the the trials uh, of Jesus are broken down into three religious trials and three uh, civil trials. or, Or trials before the government. And just to review, Jesus really didn't have an official trial by the religious leaders. There were kind of hearings or questionings, and they were all illegal. The first was before Annas. The second was Caiaphas and the religious religious leaders. And then the last one is just really the same group. It's sort of the end of the day, and they sort of take a final roll call on uh, the guilt of Jesus And for them, it's a formal decision to take Jesus to uh, Pilate. Uh, But it's not really an official ruling because they have no right to make that in the middle of the night. By now, Jesus is exhausted. He's been uh, paraded around through the streets. He's had to walk from Caiaphas' house uh, to uh, the, a palace uh, where, where Pilate is, is. Pilate doesn't live here, but he, when he comes to Jerusalem during these great festivals, when there are large crowds and there is um, more concern about peace. And uh, so Pilate has come to town with troops and Jesus is delivered there. The first of the civil trials is before Pilate. There's a second one before Herod that Mark does not record. And then there's a third and final one that will end with Pilate. Now, remember that Mark, uh, he's he's sort of a condensed version of the whole story. And that's why we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because we can see the whole story as we put them together. But Mark has a condensed perspective, and he leaves out certain details just because they're not important to uh, what he's trying to accomplish and what he's trying to communicate. 
Next, we come, uh, Jesus is brought before the governor, Pilate, and we see the humiliation before the governor. The question in verse 2, the question gives clues to what the religious leaders decide to charge Jesus with. They charge him with treason. Now, the big deal for them was blasphemy, but they had to come up with something to get Pilate's attention, so they're going to charge him with treason. Why? Because Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, and the Messiah was one who would be a king that would be on David's throne. And so they're going to try to bring Pilate into this by accusing Jesus of treason. Verse 2, are you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate. Now Pilate knows Caiaphas. He, he knows the religious leaders well. Pilate is not worried that Jesus is a threat. He knows the, the, the politics that are stake with these uh, veteran leaders. Jesus was not a warrior, but he was a teacher. Pilate's not worried about treason. Pilate is a bit sarcastic in his question. Are you the king of the Jews? He knows the religious leaders are envious of Jesus. It's sort of a tongue-in-cheek, more for the leaders than it is for Jesus. The issue here is a political issue. It's not treason. Jesus answered Pilate with a yes, but he's not very specific. The Apostle John recorded more of this conversation in John 18. Jesus said, this is the, same, the very same occasion. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king, said Pilate. Next slide. Jesus answered, you say that I am. In fact, the reason I was born and came to this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Jesus is a king, but his kingdom is not of this world. Jesus answered Pilate, but not specifically. Jesus is not a threat to Rome. Pilate knows that. Jesus may be different in Pilate's mind, but this is not treason. Notice what the angel of Gabriel said to, uh, to Mary before the birth of Jesus. Look at Luke chapter 1, verses 31 through 33. Now, the angel said to Mary, you will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He's going to be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. He will be the Son of God. This is going to be a very unique child, Mary. Verse, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. You know, if he's get, given a throne, it means he's going to be a king. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants. This is a nation Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. He is going to be given an eternal kingdom. This is a big deal. This was God's perspective about his son before he was ever born to Mary. In verses 3 through 5, we have uh, the accusations. Verse 3, the chief priest accused him of saying many things, and we've seen this uh, throughout the long night. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? 
See how many things they're accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply. And Pilate was just amazed. It's almost like Pilate would like Jesus to refute these religious leaders, to refute these accusations and charges of the chief priests. When Jesus does not answer, Pilate is amazed because most men in his place would be doing everything they can to prove their innocence and to speak loudly back and uh, to, to, to want justice and to fear for their life. And, but Pilate is just amazed by Jesus. This is so unique. He's never seen this before. Pilate does not think this case is worthy of a Roman trial. Jesus is not a threat. And so Pilate gets a chance here, and, and he's going to have an opportunity to hand this off to someone else. Let somebody else deal with this. And so he sends Jesus to Herod. Mark doesn't record this, but let's look at Luke 23, verse 7. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. So we had this unusual situation because of the festival, Pilate's in Jerusalem, Herod's in Jerusalem, but Herod, uh, Herod uh, he, he rules in, in the northern part of Israel, up around Galilee. Herod is not a king. His family was a family of kings at one time. But Herod now is just a pu puppet ruler in a small area of Israel, and he is called a tetrarch. And so because Jesus is from Galilee and because Herod has jurisdiction there, um, Pilate is hoping that Herod will, will take care of this matter. Herod found Jesus fascinating when he questioned him, but he couldn't find any fault in Jesus either. In verses uh, 6 through 8, we have the practice of prisoner release. Look at verse 6. Now it was the custom of the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. Uh, the custom... It was common in ancient times in the Roman Empire for Rome to go into a nation and adapt to customs of the people and sometimes grant them requests like this to, to, to offer a pardon to someone. And so this had been going on during the festival in recent history since Pilate has been uh, the governor. Um, so it, it wasn't uncommon for Romans to appease the conquered people uh, under their rule with practices like this. The people request that one man be pardoned at this time because of the custom, because of the festival. Now, Mark says, notably at this time, there was a man called Barab Barabbas who was an insurrectionist, a word we've heard a lot about recently. And Mark reports that he had committed murder in the uprising in Jerusalem. And we see the politics in verses 9 through 12, the politics of crowd control. So Pilate has an assumption here that the crowd is going to want to let Jesus go. That they're just going to pick Jesus because obviously 
He's a much better man. He, he, he's not guilty. He hasn't done any crime. And uh, he knew that, look, look at uh, verses 9 and 10. Do you want me to release you to the king of the Jews? And he just assumes they're going to say, yeah. Verse 10, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed him over, handed Jesus over to him. He knew it was out of envy because Jesus was so popular and Jesus was gain, gaining uh, influence. And uh, that was disrupting and, and people were questioning the religious leaders on, on their, how they practice um, their, uh, their Old Testament view of the law. Verse 11, but the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews, Pilate asked. And Pilate realizes this is not about justice. This is about political expedience. The crowd likely had been somewhat handpicked by uh, and coached by the high priest to give... Um, a predetermined vote on, on, on this outcome. The crowd was agitated against Jesus as influenced by the high priest. And it just doesn't make sense to Pilate. He's not even sure that the crowd understands what's at stake here. So he asked the crowd, what should he do with Jesus? Perhaps just for a moment, Pilate He's willing to let Barabbas go because of the custom, but he just assumes that they're going to want to let Jesus go too because he's really innocent. There's no reason to hold him. As far as Jesus is concerned, he is not worthy of death. On the other hand, Barabbas is exactly why uh, the Romans have Pilate and his troops in town on an occasion like this. Scholars see Barabbas either as a right-wing conservative zealot who wants to overthrow the Roman government and kick them out of Israel and is willing to die for his cause, or perhaps he may be a displaced Robin Hood who has lost his land and his possessions, or at least had some great losses, and he has started robbing the rich because things are so uh, lopsided judicially. And these kind of Robin Hoods did exist in the first century without being called Robin Hood. We see the verdict in verses 13 through 15. Crucify him, the crowd cries out. Why, Pilate responds, what crime has, has he committed? The crowd wants crucifixion. And Pilate just doesn't see it. Jesus did not deserve death. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. The crowd has been stirred into a frenzy now by the, the religious leaders. Crucify him, crucify him. And next we see politics at work. Look at verse 15. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged. Pilate is under pressure, political pressure. 
He cannot have an uprising in Jerusalem. He can't have any kind of event that's going to get back to Rome where a lot of people are killed and a lot of harm is called. Rome would fire him quickly. So Pilate acquiesces to the crowd. It is politically expedient that he do do so. This is not about justice. He had Jesus flogged. And he handed him over to be crucified. Because that's how the order goes with Roman rule. Jesus had to be flogged. If you know anything about this Roman practice, it was brutally violent. Two men with whips. Uh, The tails of the whips were leather laced with uh, broken bone or sharp metal like lead or bronze. One at a time, each man would strike in cadence, ripping the victims back to shreds. Many men actually never survived the flogging. They never made it to their own crucifixion. This pre-crucifixion ritual shortened the whole crucifixion process because people could last on a cross for days unless there was a way to shorten the process. And so Rome had this practice of scourging or flogging. Lastly, the humiliation before the soldiers. Jesus is now placed at the center of a comedic tragedy. We see the sarcasm in verses 16 through 18 of the soldiers. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium. This is the seat of the government in Jerusalem at this time. And they called together the whole company of soldiers. Jesus is led away and they brought to an area where a whole company is gathered. That would be between two and six hundred Roman soldiers. They put a purple robe on him. They twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. The purple robe was was to present Jesus uh, as royalty just for good fun. Perhaps the robe was uh, a Roman officer's um, cape or or, uh, outer garment and it it had faded and, and, and been discarded. A crown of thorns was placed on Jesus' head to portray portray his kingship. And they would have been uh, very long thorns. Some think the crown could have been uh, a way to make a picture of the emperor wearing a crown. And on his crown, instead of thorns, there were light beams coming out of his crown displaying his divinity. And they were making fun of Jesus. Jesus has been beaten badly. He's exhausted. He's lost a lot of blood. And the robe would have been very painful on his back. Verse 18, and they began to, to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. And so now they role play how they would treat a king. The Romans don't like the Jewish people. To them, it's very humorous to see Jesus, this wimpy guy. He's not a powerful man. He is weak and he is bleeding. And if he is the king of the Jews, he's 
going to ha- he's not going to have much of a kingdom. The abuse continues in verse 19, the physical abuse. Again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff and they spit on him. You know, they did not strike him gently. To them, Jesus is not a person. He's just a failure. And they anointed him with spit. We see the mockery in verses 19 and 20. And our passage ends with these words. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. They bow before Jesus, mocking him as a great king. Verse 20. And when they mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put it on his clothes on him, and they let him out to crucify him. When they were done, they just kind of jerked off the wool robe they'd placed on Jesus. It would have been painful to have that removed. And they put back on his own bloody stained clothes. The apostle uh, Paul later describes Jesus in this way in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he, Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus humbled himself and became obedient. If you remember, Jesus prayed in the garden, Father, remove this cup from me. God said, no. Then Jesus said, not my will, but yours. Jesus was obedient even to death. But we're not going to end on this downer. I want to remind you of the plan. Weeks earlier, Jesus spoke these words in Mark chapter 10, verses 33 through 34. And Jesus said, we're going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. That happened, didn't it? They will condemn him to death and they will hand him over to the Gentiles. That happened too. They turned him over to the Romans. They turned him over to Pilate who will mock him and spit on him. That's what happened with the Roman soldiers. And they will flog him and they will kill him. The worst is yet to come. Three days later, he will rise. Jesus was humiliated before the religious leaders. He was humiliated before the governor, Pilate. Then he was humiliated before the soldiers and they bowed before him as a joke. One day the tables will be turned. Things will be different. The apostle Paul marks out this special day in Philippians chapter two, verses nine through 11, a passage we've looked at many times, but think about it in the context of what we have just read today. Therefore, God exalted him, that is Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven for everybody who's gone to heaven, the angels in heaven and on earth, people who are still alive when Jesus returns and under the earth, those who have been condemned already. And every tongue acknowledges that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory 
of God the Father. Think about this. One day, all of those religious leaders will see Jesus and they will bow before him and say, Jesus is Lord. And one day, Pilate will see Jesus and he'll say, he really is the king of kings. And one day those Roman soldiers will bow their knees before Jesus. And you and I will also bow before Jesus and say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is our Lord. God had a plan all along. God was in charge. God is still, God still has a plan today and God still is in charge today. Simply put, I think we could describe the overall plan in this way. I think John 3.16 is just one way to look at this. Think about this. Why did all these things happen? For God so loved the world. And, you know, we can make the, stop and make the application right here. God so loved you and me and every person because all people have dignity before God created in his image and he loves them. That he gave his one and only son. That he gave his son as a sacrifice. That whoever, any person, it could be you, it could be me, it could be anyone who believes in him, believes in Jesus, shall not perish, shall not be separated from God, shall not be condemned, but they will have eternal life. They will have the promise of heaven. Um, and this is not just um, about life insurance. It's not eternal life insurance. It's about life. Eternal life is about life. It's about life right now. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. Jesus wants to improve the quality of our lives right now. It's about a transformation from death to life. So my question is this. Have your eyes been opened to the supreme treasure of who Jesus really is? Have your eyes been opened to knowing Jesus? If we summarize the main teaching of the Bible, I think we could summarize something like this. Human beings have been created in the image of God, but because of their choices, they have sinned, they have failed God. The Bible just calls this sin. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means every person. Every person has failed God. There's no like better people than other people. The consequences of our sin is spiritual death or eternal separation from God, eternal condemnation. Jesus called it hell. The Apostle Paul says simply, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, eternal death. The good news is, is that Jesus died for us. That's why God sent his son to take our place, to be our substitute. Um, 
Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for our place. He took our place. He was our substitute. Jesus experienced our penalty. And we're not required to pay for it, but we are required to come to God on his terms. And God's requirement is to put our faith in Jesus Christ, to trust him, to believe what God has said about his son, that Jesus paid the penalty. It's all paid for. It's about receiving by faith God's message. It is true. Jesus died for you and for me. The question is, do you trust him? And would you like to? As I close this morning, I'd just like to offer a prayer. And um, church, we have a message that's so important that we share. And um, if, if you are watching today and you've never placed your faith in Christ and, and, you, and you haven't had your eyes opened by God where you've experienced a new life, I want to share a prayer. And I'm going to go through it two times. The first time, I, I just want you to listen. And then I'm going to go through a second time and invite you to pray with me if it makes sense to you. So the first time through, the prayer is going to be something like this. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I agree with you. I have failed you. Thank you, God, for sending your son, Jesus, to die for me. I understand that he's paid for my sin penalty. Thank you. I don't deserve it. And I want to trust Jesus Christ right now. I trust that he's paid the penalty for my sin. And I invite him into my life. And, and I ask God, that you give me that new life, a new experience that includes the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Now, if that prayer made sense to you and you want to begin a relationship with God, I just invite you to pray along with me um, through this the second time. So I want to ask everybody to bow our heads and let's just uh, pray that prayer back to God. Dear God, I just admit that I'm a sinner, that I have failed you. I've done things that have dishonored you. I thank you, God, that you sent Jesus, your son, to pay the penalty for my sins. I don't deserve that Jesus paid for, for, for my sins, that he paid for all of them, that he died for me. He took my place because I deserved death. And God, I, I trust Jesus right now. I, I, I want to put my faith in Jesus Christ who died for me. Thank you, God, that you love me. And um, God, I just ask that you would come into my life and, and that I might experience that new life that, that you give that the, the, the forgiveness of sins that you give, eternal life that you give, your presence in my life that you give. Thank you, God, that Jesus died for me. Right now, I trust him. 
Help me to be the person that you want me to be. For, for Jesus' sake, I pray. And then, God, um, I just want to pray for all the church. Thank you for the privilege to be a part of your people on the earth today who serve you, and we are called the church. Remind us, God, to be about our mission, to represent you well, to love people well, and to show them who the Son is and what he has done for them. May we honor you in this way. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen. If you prayed with me this morning um, and, and, and you put your faith in Jesus Christ, uh, I just want to tell you that according to Scripture, your sins are forgiven. Um, you have the gift of eternal life. You have a new life. You have a new start. And now just seek to follow him. God bless you all.